You are listening to the Imperfect Leader Podcast with Scott Neal, a podcast to help you lead and grow, even with imperfections and challenges. Now here's your host, Scott Neal. All right, welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host, and today I have Shane Paris with us. Really excited about interviewing Shane and giving you guys a chance to get to know him a lot better. So welcome to the podcast, Shane. Thanks, Scott. I'm excited, man. Glad you are here. I want to jump right into some questions uh, for you, and uh, we'll just get started and see where we end up. You lead, for for a lot of the people uh, listening who may not know who you are, you lead student ministries here at Forest Park, and we are so glad you said yes and came on board here to lead our students. Um, I really want to begin somewhat with a maybe introspective question, deep question, so we're just going to jump right into it. Um, I know a little bit about your history, who you are, and you, you've, you've shared some of those things with me. So I was thinking if we could roll back time, if we could go back probably 10 years ago, eight years ago, back to when you were in high school, kind of doing your thing, uh, would you have ever imagined that you are a student pastor today at Forest Park in the same city in which you went to high school? Tell me a little bit about how that feels and when you think about that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, uh, when I think about where I was in high school, um, I was reckless. I was definitely, like you just said, I thought I was doing my thing. Um, always looking to have fun, always looking for the next pleasure. It's funny because when I was in high school, I was the guy that was peer pressuring all of his friends to do Mm -hmm. stupid stuff. So when I sit back and think about where I'm at now, you know, sometimes I actually get emotional when I think about it because I just don't, I don't fully understand how somebody like myself with everything that I did and, and who I was can be where I'm at right now. It's funny, I'll run into old friends or have conversations with friends and uh, they'll, they'll look at me and say, I cannot believe you are a pastor now. Yeah. And, uh, or they'll share conversations with some of our other friends and yeah, it it's, crazy but yes I was uh my senior year I was voted biggest flirt I've always been the class clown my best friend actually got class clown in high school and we were always together so you knew that there was trouble coming if we were yeah if we were anywhere around well I imagine if you see some people in town who you did go to high school with and they know what you're doing today that opens a great door to just tell them your story and kind of how you got to where you are and those things, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've actually uh, I've actually had a lot of my old high school friends uh, come to service at Forest mm. Park, and it's been really cool connecting with them um, because I've been able to, they've actually seen my story unfold. Right. And, uh, you know, just we can have real conversations because they know where I once was mm-hmm. and where I'm at now, and they know that I didn't grow up in church. They know that I you know, didn't necessarily uh, dream of or or go to school to be a pastor. So everything that I've been through, they can relate to. So it's a lot easier for me to have conversations with a lot of my old friends about life and where we're at now. And it's been great. Yeah. Well, I want to get into a little bit of what you did think you'd be doing in just a few minutes. Uh, Let's back up a little bit further back to when you were a kid, because I think it's important for people to kind of get some background to who Shane Paris is and what's kind of in the software, if you will, of, of your life, kind of working behind the scenes. So take us through a little bit of your journey growing up. 
Uh, you're from this area, so tell us a little bit about that. What was it like growing up in the Paris family? Did you move a lot? You know, what do you consider home? Just uh, on from there. Yeah, so uh, my dad was working at a newspaper um, in Colorado. Okay. When I was I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, mm-hmm. he was in the newspaper business. Uh, we moved here when I turned seven years old. He actually landed a job at the Daily Advance as their editor. Mm. Uh, so that's how we ended up here in uh, Elizabeth City. And um, it was a hard transition at first. You know, I came in, we moved to Paratree Place, mm-hmm. and it was an awesome neighborhood. There was probably 20 to 30 kids that were around my age. And uh, we all hung out. We all played together. So up until from seven up until about nine, I would say that my childhood was was awesome. Um, Just doing what every little boy would do back then. We didn't have phones. We didn't have computers. So we were playing, having fun. But at nine, um, our family went on a on a two week trip to Hawaii. That's where my mother's from. Okay. so we went on a two week trip to Hawaii. And the moment we stepped back in the door, uh, my dad actually looked at my mom and told her that he was done with the marriage and he was leaving. And uh, yeah, it was bizarre. Long flight back, exhausted, tired. That was a very, you know, it was an emotional roller coaster from there. Um, So from there, you know, I stayed with my mom. My dad stayed in the area, you know, though they divorced, uh, they both managed to do everything they could for me. Um, my dad was at every event, baseball, football, parent-teacher conferences. My mom started working two jobs to make ends meet for me and to make sure that I had what I needed. But uh, I and would you, say— You stayed with your mom? Yes. Okay. Yes, I lived with my and your mom. your dad still lived locally? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Funny thing is, when he, uh, when he moved out, he actually stayed in the same neighborhood. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so when that I— That was awkward. Yeah, and yeah. see, as a, as a child— um, you know, you don't really think about all that stuff. You, It's normal. You know, whatever environment you grow up in, it's normal to you. But now that I look back, I'm just like, holy cow. Like, our yeah. our family was very, you know, dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. They did what they could to raise me with what they knew how. Uh, I wouldn't say that they had the best reference to point back to in parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did everything that they could. But uh, But as a child, you know. It was it was somewhat rough, you know. the The only good thing about that them separating was probably Christmas time, because <laughs> <laughs> I got so many Christmas presents. Right. But um, but yeah, it was tough. It was tough. But uh, so you were nine when this when your world kind of blew up. Yep, nine okay. years old. Nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened after that? Um, what does it look like? Middle school's coming up soon, right? Yeah, middle okay. school. Winter and River your mom and dad stay separated, divorced? Yeah, yeah. So my mom actually remarried a couple years later Okay. Uh, to a, a really good guy, um, worked hard, you know, wasn't out at the bars, and, you know, he supported our family. He was great. My dad, you know, remarried as well. And um, so I was kind of bouncing back mm-hmm. from house to house. But there the the two marriages were also you know very unhealthy Hmm. my dad ended up having another baby um when I was 16 so by this point you know he was starting a new journey right um from there they both ended up divorcing as well so it was just yeah I just that's all I saw yeah was was divorce and you know nothing stable nothing was certain 
Um, so through middle school and high school, my parents, you know, they loved me. Sure. Um, they loved me, but there, there weren't many boundaries. So as long as my grades were good, as long as I was working hard, as long as I was doing good in, in whatever sport I was playing at the time, as long as those things were good, there weren't very many boundaries. My dad wasn't home. You know, my mom was working two jobs, so I was free to go and do whatever I wanted. And uh, I did just that. Yeah. Now, were you able to maintain your grades and keep that kind of up there? I was. Good. I was. Yeah, I did keep my grades up. I had a, I was an AB honor roll student through high school. Um, and my, yeah, my grades were great. Like I said, they would, they would ask me questions, how, how school going, mm-hmm. you know, but they, there were never many conversations in depth about you know, how you're doing. Yes. Like inside. Never, okay. never. So as long as everything looked kind of good on the outside, they were so busy and tied up in everything else and relationships and their own pain. Right. That as long you, as long as you appeared good on the outside and grades were good and you were playing sports. Yes. Obviously you're good. So they Absolutely. just kind of went on. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, tell me, um, tell me what happened in, in high school. You were the class clown, big flirt, but you also played football. Right. And that was something you loved. Yeah. And you were good at it. Yes. Yes. I was, uh, I've always been considered the underdog because I'm five foot eight. Right. And, uh, I played quarterback. And when you're five foot eight and you play quarterback, you've got to prove that you can play. Right. You see, when you're six foot four, you got to prove that you can't play. Hmm. So I really had to work hard. Uh, but in doing so, uh, that, that kind of became my identity, mm-hmm. kind of became, you know, my purpose. Yeah. It was football or nothing. Uh, so everything, my grades were good so mm-hmm. that I could stay on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, my grades were good and, and I was doing good in football to, to impress my dad, to, to keep him happy. You know, I always pushed to make sure that, you know, he was proud of me. Yeah. And uh, football was one of those things, so I worked my tail off. Yeah. And being smaller than everybody else, I had to work twice as hard. Yeah. Um, so. And you guys had some great seasons. Yeah. While yeah, you were playing, right? Yeah, yeah it's really cool. I uh, actually had a conversation and got to speak to Northeastern's football team um, a couple weeks ago, maybe about a month ago now, yeah. two months ago. And, uh, you know, Antonio Moore, the head coach, actually told the football team this year that my senior year, you know, our, our season, our team, we're the team that started where Northeastern is today. We're mm. the reason why they are where they are today. Mm. And that's cool because they've been doing amazing things yeah. and great things, going to state championships and winning the conference, yeah. you know, quite a few times since then. But um, Now, during those years, did you have in the back of your mind, or maybe it was in the front, that and everybody knew it, that you just were hopeful you were going to play football the rest of your life? Did you see a career in that, or were you hopeful for that? I think I was hopeful for that. Uh, the chances were very slim mm-hmm. uh, due to the fact that I was five foot eight. My sure. dad actually, you know, he wanted me to play football. He wanted me to do what I wanted to do. But I think in the back of his mind, if he could have had it his way, I would have gone on to play college baseball. Uh-huh. Just, you know, I could have sustained that a little bit longer as far as health goes and my right. size. Right. So, no, if you would have asked me, I've always said I want to be a professional football player my whole life. But I think that's every kid's dream that sure. picks up a football, right? Sure. Yeah, but you had the, the skill to actually give you a little bit more of a, more than just a dream. Yeah. You were actually in the game and you were doing well and your quarterback and then you went to college and played. Right, right. Yep, I actually received a scholarship to a Division II school right. uh, in Salisbury, North Carolina, Livingstone College. And um, I went there in 2009, and, you know, I think that uh, 
I went there to play football mm-hmm. and I didn't go there to go to school. I went there to play football. And when you go from a small town, you know, you're in school and it's easy. And then when you go off to college and you don't have uh, anybody checking in on you, you know, it's, it's a lot harder, especially when you go there for, for one reason. Mm-hmm. So I went, my grade started slipping, mm-hmm. uh, s- slipped into, you know, doing drugs and, and just drinking every day and just the party scene. And I kind of lost sight or I did lose sight of the reason why I was there. So I was there for a year um, on scholarship and uh, I decided to leave and transfer to another school, North Carolina Wesleyan College in Rocky Mount. Mm -hmm. And from there, everything changed for me. I started to see things a little bit different. You know, I was still in the party scene, Mm -hmm. but um, I was starting to see things clearer. And, and what I needed to do to get done. Yeah. And how long were you there, Wesleyan? I was there for two years. Okay. So you've got one year at, at the first school. Yes. And then you transferred over and did two more years there. Right. And then something happened while you were there too, as far as physically, right? Yes. An injury. Yes. Tell us about that. So in 2011, um, that, that spring, I had earned the starting position to play quarterback. And uh, it was a big deal because we had just won a conference championship the year before. Um, so it, you know, it was awesome. I worked my way up from the practice squad and I just earned the starting position that spring. Uh, and then going into the summer before that fall, when we would start our season, I was showing off for my, who's my wife now, Sydney yeah. on the beach skimboarding. Mm. And I, uh, and I actually broke my leg oh my two goodness. days before we were supposed to report to practice. Wow. I had to call my dad and call my head football coach and I actually lied to both of them. I told them that I was doing football drills on the beach Mm. and I didn't actually tell my dad the truth until about a year and a half ago. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, how did he respond to that? (laughs) He was like, are you serious? I don't, yeah, he wasn't happy, but he couldn't get too angry. (laughs) Skimboarding. Yes. Tell me how that actually happened. Well, I, uh, I used to think it was cool to hit the wave and do front flips off. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, the wave just hit my leg just right. And uh, I knew it was broken as soon as I did it. But the crazy thing is I did not want it to be broken so much that I was like, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm going to figure this out. So we got in the car and left and I went home and iced it overnight. Mm -hmm. I iced it. And the next morning I woke up and stepped out of bed and collapsed and couldn't walk. And I said, it's broke. So, yeah, it was. uh, Wow. I was devastated. I can imagine. I was devastated, but that's where it changed for me. That's where it changed for me because even though I met Sydney, you know, my head was Now was Sydney in school with you? Is Sydney you was in a nursing program here okay. at COA. Okay. Yep, and um and you met her how? <laughs> that's a funny story. Yeah. Well, tell us. <laughs> she actually uh she was hanging out with one of my ex-girlfriends at the time and um they decided that they thought they would see what I was doing. And I was actually home for the summer. This was, of course, before I broke my leg, I was home for the summer. And uh, so she reached out to me on Facebook and we had been liking each other's pictures mm-hmm. here and there, mm-hmm. but uh, we've never really had a had a real conversation. And she reached out to me on Facebook and, and asked if I could come over and hang out. But I'd actually gotten in trouble a couple nights before so I could not, you know, I said, you know what? I'm just trying to lay low. Um, I can't come out right now. So, but from there, you know, conversation started. We started to get to know each other, started texting each other. Yeah. Yeah. So now your leg's broken. You got to call your coach. 
and yeah. tell him what happened and how did he respond? He was not happy. I can imagine at two all. days before practice. Yeah. The second string the quarterback was second string very quarterback. happy. He was happy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. but my coach wasn't happy, my dad wasn't happy. Yeah. That was a rough summer for me though. I can imagine. That was a rough summer because leading up to that, um, I told you I'd just gotten into trouble. Yeah. That when Sydney reached out to me and uh me and some friends were were driving downtown one night, and we got pulled over by Here? a police officer. Here, yep. City. Okay. Yep. And uh, there was marijuana in the car. Yeah. And um, you know, I got a citation. I didn't get arrested that night, but um, there there were just little things that whole summer that I think it was almost like a wake up call. Yeah. You know, just. But I didn't answer. Yeah. I didn't answer. Yeah. So you break your leg. You go into, I would imagine, what, depression or anger? Or how did you respond knowing that you were out for the season and possibly that's it for your career even? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I was definitely I was definitely in a state of depression. Uh, you know, when you play football, you love football. You're going to school to play football. Uh, that's all you want. So when you get injured, you know, it's, it's a big deal. Yep. It's a real big deal. Luckily, I had Sydney there and um she was great she was there for me she supported me mentally physically emotionally um so luckily you know I had her to to hold on to through that time I know it sounds funny you hear people talk about sports injuries all the time but it'll really mess with your head when you when that's your identity right and um you know when I went back to went back to school after I broke my leg I still went to two days later to school when football practice started and there was a gentleman there. His name was uh, Jesse Sutherland. He's from Edenton, North Carolina. We grew up playing football against each other. He was really big into church. He was really big into, you know, just everybody knew that Jesse loved Jesus. Yeah. Everybody. And he lived a couple doors down from me. And uh, he brought me a Bible and, and started praying over me hmm. and reading with me. And that's when it clicked right there. Hmm. It clicked right there that, uh, you know, through this. Um, there's something good that was going to come from it. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. It was cool. Well, speaking of, of Jesse, is it, is yeah. his name is? Yeah. Jesse, who are some of the people in your life? Because, I, I mean, imagine going through your parents going through a divorce when you're, you're young, um, not having some boundaries in your life. So I would imagine that you participated in some things that were probably not the best for you and for your, your mind and soul and even body. Um, you go to college, get into drugs, get into different things, break your leg. I mean, and, but today, you know, you're in, in ministry, which we're going to get into in a moment and how that, what that's like for you today and doing opposite, you know, than you were back in high school. Some people stepped into your life and influenced you and helped steer you the right way. Jesse obviously is one of those people. Yeah. Who, who are a few people who came into your life because you mentioned Sydney as well. Right. So it's almost like there were people who stepped into your life at just the right time to help Shane end up where he is today versus I can think of 10 other places you could be today, especially when your leg's broken and you can get into depression and often comes with that more drinking or drugs or whatever to try to numb out to the pain. But people stepped into your life at just the right time. Who are a few of those people that you look back, even when you were a kid, to you know, recently that, that helped steer you the right way. Yeah. I would say that, uh, I would say that my, my parents definitely had, you know, their own issues. Um, 
but they were both, they both influenced me in a different way. You know, my mom was always there for me, loved me. Work ethic was always big. Uh, My dad, you know, always making sure that the right things were taken care of priorities. You know, you can, you can party hard, but you're going to have to work harder. Um, so they influenced me in their own way. I wanted to make sure I said that, but, um, when they got divorced, I actually got really close with a, another kid that lived down the street. His, his dad was a pastor Mm -hmm. and I started going to church with them every single Sunday. And you were how old at this time when you were starting to church? Okay. So you, as a kid, you went to church. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With this other friend. Right. Okay. And I would, I literally lived over there. Hmm. You know, they, uh, their three kids lived in the house and. I, I was over there so much that my mom would literally cut them checks for groceries. <laughs> really, really. And um, so I would say their their family, you know, wrapped their arms around me around that time. As I got older, you know, certain football coaches. Yeah. But um, what really, ste- Sydney stepped in at the right time in my life, and her, her mom did too, Tracy. Yeah. She's, uh, she's been awesome. She's been awesome from the beginning. You know, when I first met her, Right. Um, I went ahead and laid everything out on the table and let her know who I was, what I've been through, what I've done. And um, I mean, it was in a very emotional, hard conversation. Right. But I wanted to be completely real and transparent because a lot of the life that I had lived before was a lie. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't want to start that with her and her mm-hmm. family. And um, so so she was she was huge. She was huge. She's probably one of the uh, she's one of the best people I know Um, I used to joke her all the time when I first met her because she would pray for everything Uh, she she doesn't cuss so if she would slip up and say one you know she'd get so mad because (laughs) I would you know be on her back about it I'll tell you a funny story real fast she uh, this is the kind of person she is so one day she was looking for a broom in her house and um I told her, I said, I think it's in this closet. You know, you should go look in the closet. She said, no, I don't think it's in the closet. I don't think it's in the closet. And I was like, all right. Well, uh, that night I called her and we were talking. I was like, hey, did you ever find that broom? Um, and I, cause I think I used it last and that's what I was mm-hmm. asking. And, uh, she said, yeah, but it wasn't in the closet. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, the next day I get a call from her and she said, Shane, I just got to let you know, I lied to you yesterday. I was like, what are you talking about? She said the broom was really in the closet, but I didn't want to tell you that it was in the closet because that means you would have been right. And I lied to you and it's been right. eating at me all oh, day. And I, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 So even that, sure. you know, just goes to show and you what kind of person volumes to you as well. Absolutely. And keeping Absolutely. Relationships above Absolutely. Board. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she's, uh, she's been a rock That's great. for sure. Yeah. So this family pastor and his, his, uh, your friend and his his dad was a pastor when you were young, influenced you greatly. Right. Then you meet Sydney and her mom come into your life and help steer you and help keep you on the right track. Right. Yeah. And then what out happens? Uh, we started coming to Forest Park Church. Yeah. I think that's when I met you is when you actually had your leg injured still. Right. Because there was some surgery going on or some kind of rehab that you were yes. in. And I remember seeing you walk in on crutches, I believe it was, or mm-hmm. a cast or something. Yep, yeah. yep. So we started coming to Forest Park Church. Sydney had been coming with a friend of hers. And um, like I said, you know, as a child when my parents were divorced, mm-hmm. I went I went to church sure. um, here and there. But when I stepped into Forest Park, there was just something different about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was at a time in my life where I really needed it. I really needed uh, 
uh, a community, you know, people around me that actually cared yep. and, and didn't act like they cared. Uh, and I met a few good men here at Forest Park that have really changed my life. They've, you know, they, in relationship, they started to hold me accountable for my actions, for my mm-hmm. decisions, and um, had hard conversations with them because when you think about the, the childhood, the decisions that I made, you know, I carried a lot of that stuff for a long time. Right. And I didn't realize it. I wasn't mature enough to realize that every single decision that I made leading up to this point was bottled up inside of me somewhere. Stuff mm-hmm. that stuff that had happened to me, you know, the pain, the resentment, the anger. The and confusion. the way you dealt with all that in the past was just to push it down and keep moving forward. And numb it out numb it with out unhealthy down. decisions. Right. So now I was at a place where I had people around me who actually cared enough about me to deal with that stuff yep. and have hard conversations. And, um, you know, Dale Jones was, was one of them yep. real early, real early. We had a lot of hard conversations over coffee. And uh, Jason McAllister, same thing. A lot of long, hard conversations. And then now, you know, you, Scott, um, and, and Lana, and uh, Brad Hurdle. Yep. You know, I've got... I talk to the students here about making sure that your circle is one that will rub you wrong and mm. tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Right. And I would say that uh, that the circle that I have now right. is one that will always hold me accountable. Yeah. And uh, if I'm slipping, you know, you guys are the first to let me know. Yeah. And that's one of the characteristics of you, Shane, that I highly admire. Um, unfortunately, I don't see it often in... Um, and maybe I'm just around the wrong people, but I don't see it as often as I would like to see it in those in their mid twenties. You receive criticism well, and you're, you're willing to be taught because I think there's a passion inside of you to be the best version of you, you possibly can be. Yeah. And you've had enough pain in your life and enough failure in your life to know that you don't have all the answers. And you look to those who who are down the field further than you in life, and maybe they've learned things about marriage, about finances, about leadership, about teaching, about whatever. You're willing to let them speak into you, and I'm sure it stings. You know, it doesn't always feel good. But what you just said is so insightful. The the circle of friends ought to rub you the wrong way, right? To push you to be a better version of yourself than you would have ever been by yourself, by alone. So I, I think that's a, a trait you have that will help you get very far in life. And I probably, I mean, obviously it comes out of your character, and um, but it also comes probably from years of being coached, you know, in sports, knowing yeah. that, you know, if you don't get better as an individual, the team will never be better. And if the team's not very good, you'll never win championships. So you just carry with you this attitude all the time of, okay, I did a good job, but how can I be better? What can I change? Show me where I'm not doing well, and I'll listen to that because I want to perform to the best of my ability. Right. That's huge in leadership, and you carry that with you. Thank you. Yeah, and there's there's a handful, you know, I could list a handful of young men and women within that age bracket who carry that with them. Unfortunately, it's it's not as prevalent as, a, it, as it ought to be. Um, you know, I remember when I was that age, I wanted to be the best I could be, but I still carried an air about me that I know more than you do, you know, and uh, that's a that's a that's a characteristic that has to get almost beaten out of you. And uh, figuratively speaking, you just have to get beaten down, fail, 
get up, fall, get up, fall until you finally learn you don't have all the answers. Right. And, and I'm glad that you're learning that earlier in life than later. So yeah. that's a great characteristic. Well, today uh, you you are on staff here part time here at Forest Park and you are leading our student ministries. And again, as we mentioned at the beginning, you would have never imagined that when you were in high school. But no. here you are. And through the, the, the different events that have occurred in your life and, and God bringing people in at, at the right time and you're being willing to learn and grow and read and, and um, you know, be shaped and formed into a leader, you now stand in front of, you know, 75 to 100 students here at Forest Park who come in and out and some of them are here every week and some are here every other week and, and et cetera. Um, that's got to be a moving moment for you sometimes to stand up and see all these teenagers you know do you sometimes see yourself out there oh absolutely absolutely a lot of the times um you know we we've got students who you know they they walk into church and they uh they act one way but it's funny because i've got them all on snapchat yeah so Uh, you know i see i see the other side too but um but i get it you know i was glad there was not snapchat in high school when you were there Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I'm glad there wasn't a lot of things yeah. that are, you know, yes. Yeah. So I do. So sometimes that. you can call them out. Oh, I always yeah. call them out. Right. I always call them out. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, I love to have a good time. Um, I'm, I love to do as much as I can to be relevant with the students. Mm-hmm. And I'm just silly and fun and loud and obnoxious. That's just me. But, um, but I'll call you out quick. If you're a student and you're in our student ministry, you know, I will, uh, I feel like I'm transparent enough and I'm real enough. And, uh, I will, I will call you out quick. If you're, if you're cussing like crazy on Snapchat or if you're not doing something, you know, if you're putting something up there that you shouldn't be, I will, I will. Yeah. When you look across the room and you see all those students, whether they're in the large gathering we have at the next event once a month, or they're in a small group setting, what do you see in them? What What do you see in that sixteen-year-old, that eighteen-year-old, you know, that fourteen-year-old girl? What do you see inside that that stirs you, that motivates you, that moves you to want to do what you do every day? Yeah, I'm actually glad that you asked that, Scott. Uh, that's something I think about a lot. You know, this generation doesn't get a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of people that tear down this generation. I can't tell you how many times I hear. You know, these these kids these days or this generation mm-hmm. and you know, when I see this generation I see I see a lot of passion. Uh these these students, these teenagers, they're hungry. They want information, you know, but not only do they want they they really like rules. You just don't know that they like rules. Mm-hmm. They like structure. Um the thing is I think there's a separation that uh that people don't think about. And it's the fact that though these teenagers, you know, they're glued to their phones, people call them lazy, uh, people, you know, the older generation say different things about them, mm-hmm. but really they're smart and they're, they're hungry and they want to learn and they want to know. If you tell them to do something, they just don't do it. They want to know why yeah. you want them to yeah. do it. And uh, they've got so much finger or so much information at their fingertips uh, through social media and and just what they carry around in their pocket every day with the cell phones. But they're uh, they're very intelligent. They're very smart. It's crazy. Um, 
a lot of the students that I serve and I look at them and I'll tell them, you know, I was nowhere near as mature as you are uh, at, at this age. But I think there's a separation that a lot of people don't see, and I try to fill in those gaps. And, yeah. uh, you know, they need it. So you, you extend respect to them immediately, and you believe in them and believe that they're smart and that they're capable rather than some of the, you know, cliches that are being thrown around. And they seem to respond to your respect and your honor of who they are. Right, right. I believe that, um, you know, it's easy to say something about who they are. And it's a it's it's a lot harder to actually step up and 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 do something about it. Yeah. It's it's harder to step up and actually lead them and help them and guide them and mold them. And um, you know, I think that's where the disconnect is. I, I really think that's where it is uh, as far as our parents go. You know, if I could stand up and and tell parents anything, if I could get them in one room and just share one thing with them. It would be that, uh, you know, as much as you feel like your your child or your teenager doesn't want to talk, talk to them, hmm. ask them questions, monitor their phones, monitor their computers. Uh, do you do you find the students re- respond to that more positively than what maybe you fear they'll respond to? In other words, to a parent. You know, I don't, I don't want to pry. I don't want to get too involved in their personal life. But yet you're saying you would encourage them to, to get involved in a Absolute, respectful way. Absolutely. So they res- the students respond better to that than what the parents might fear. I believe so, yeah. yeah. And uh, especially down the road. Hmm. Especially down the road. I wish my parents would have monitored a lot of what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, they may not like it at the time. Sure. But as all parents know, when you start having kids, you understand. Yeah. And, um if I could get them all in one room and share one thing with them, that would be it. Yeah. That would Stay be it. Stay involved. Stay involved. There's almost like this, this feeling. Some parents feel like they need to give their, their, you know, teenager space. Yeah. They feel like they don't need to pry. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's boundaries, there's sure. limits, but at the same time, um, I believe that hard conversations need to be had. You know, I, I believe that all parents need to be protective yeah. of the music that their kids are listening to, mm. the games their kids are playing, the movies they're watching, uh, all of the things. Do you, do you think most parents, just based on what you've experienced and the conversations you've had with students, do you think most parents would be shocked, they'd be surprised at what their kids are exposed to through movies, through music, through the Internet? Oh, I think, yes, absolutely. I think they would be shocked. I think if they went to iTunes right now and looked at the top 10 songs being downloaded and just read through the lyrics, they'd Hmm. be shocked. Hmm. You think parents are, I would imagine that they're basing, you know, what is out there today or they think what's out there today is similar to what they experienced when they were teenagers. And you're saying, and I think you and I have talked about this before, it's much different as far as the graphic nature of it and and we're not talking just about sex. We're talking about violence. We're talking about the concepts and ideas and philosophy that's being thrown out and so much the music and the media and uh, social media. It's just prevalent. These kids are just being inundated with this stuff all the time. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I've done a lot of research and I've uh, actually read a book, Meet Generation Z, you're yeah, familiar with. it's an excellent book. Yes, and just some of the points that they make about this generation. So this generation, te- the teens today Mm -hmm. are not millennials they're generation z and uh the points that the author the author made were it's crazy to think about you know the the world that they live in now 
They've got their phones in their back pocket. You know, every movie, every commercial, every song, every television show is plastered with something sexual, mm-hmm. nudity. Um, and then, you know, they can scroll, they can pull up porn like it's nothing on their mm-hmm. phone. But who's monitoring that? Right. Who's monitoring that? And and then you said the violence. Yeah. It, it's sad to think the kids, the teenagers of today have never known a world where terrorist attacks don't happen. Hmm. That's normal to them. School shootings are normal to them. It's yeah, when, sad. It was but a long normal. time ago, but when I was a teenager, terrorism was something that happened, you know, a whole nother world away. Right. Like, you know, that was over there in that country. You know, we didn't even really know what the concept of terrorism was about then. Yeah. And today it's right here, right now, 24 hours a day, cable news. They see it all the time. It's all over the social media, it's everywhere. So they're seeing buildings explode and people dying and and refugees everywhere and terrorism is just everywhere. Yeah, and and when you think That's about it's got to create fear within them and create, worry and doubt about yeah, the future and fear, but it it's sad to think that all of this is normal to them. Yeah. Cuz I remember it's their world. Yeah, when I was in uh when I was in the 5th grade when the when the World Trade Centers mm-hmm. went down. Um, I mean, we stopped school, we cut the TV on and, and we watched live and for the rest of the day and everybody was just in shock. You know, teachers were crying as kids as a 10 year old. You're like, what's going on right now? Right. But, um, but that's normal now. That's normal. Yeah. It's amazing. So what would you say to the parent who may be listening to this, um, and thinking, you know, I don't monitor my kids, you know, social media activity. I don't necessarily pay attention to the online stuff or the music. I mean, I don't want to march into their room and start being a police officer now and asking them to show me everything. And I've not done it in the past. So what if this parent sat in front of you and said, Shane, how do I even begin to get involved in my kid's life? You know, I want to help, but I don't want to pry. I know they need some privacy. So how do I start getting involved in, in my kid's life? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good question. That's a hard question. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think there's really any one right answer, you know. And I don't have it all figured out. I'm sure. only 26 years old, and I got right. a four year old and a three month old. Yeah. But uh, through my experience with what I've learned, just dealing with the students, is as much as you believe they don't like to talk, uh, they want to talk. They've got a lot that they want to talk about. So I would say that, that every parent needs to sit down and have hard conversations, have the conversations that they're afraid to have. Mm-hmm. And um, by doing that, just opening that line of communication, I think I, I wish my parents would have sat down and had conversations with me, mm-hmm. you know, about porn, about sex, uh, just monitored what I was doing. Yeah. And um, I, I believe that, that, you know, my mind, my heart, a lot of what I'd ha- I'd had to go through would look different uh, mm-hmm. right now if that would have happened. I've I've got a friend who actually, you know, makes his two sons plug their phones in on the on the countertop downstairs at night, and both the boys know that at any time his, the parents will go through the phone. They pay the phone bill. Yep. You know, implementing stuff like that is hard, but it's only hard because a lot of the parents want to yeah. be their kids' friends. Oh. And. Uh, you know, really, I I believe that your kids will respect you more yeah. if you sh- if if you're not their friend. And one day, I can imagine one day when they become adults and they have their own kids, they will not only respect you, they will deeply thank you. Absolutely, because you save them 
from pain and hurt and regret and scars that many of their other buddies at that time when they're adults, their other 25, 26-year-olds friends are struggling with things that they're not struggling with today because those parents got involved. And, you know, so that's a... It's a tough one, and that whole concept of trying to be your 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 teenager's friend, you know, that's more of a personal thing. Like, you know, I don't know if you it's your own self esteem you're trying to take care so. of here. Yeah, just confront it, deal with it. You know, have the conversations. Um, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be awkward, but do it anyway. And I I think part of it has to do with you know the teenagers are often not very vocal. They don't they don't verbalize you know what it is they're thinking. Um, I said, you asked me to speak a while back, you know, at one of the next events. And I told him when I got up, I said, you guys, you know, in a joking way, you guys are an intimidating group of, of people in this church to speak to, you know, they are, they are because you don't get a lot of feedback, you know, and you get up to, to, to speak and they just stare at you and you share your heart and they just stare at you and you tell a story and they just look at you and you wonder, did any of this connect? But then when you walk off the stage and you go out in the lobby or you're in the hallway and you get these teenagers coming up to you and saying, wow, that story meant so much. And thank you for what you said tonight. And All the time. Yeah. And that that was so impactful. Or you get a Facebook message or something and you think, OK, the whole time I was talking, you never gave me any feedback. It, it looked as if you were zoned out, but they're not. No, they're, they're not sure how to express emotion. They don't know what to say you know, in the moment, but they're processing. So you may have that conversation, you know, at the table with your kid and you think, oh, he he doesn't even listen to anything I say, or she doesn't seem to care. She stared off in space the whole time I was talking, but that's not, you, you can't evaluate the impact of that conversation in the moment. Right. Give it a week, give it a month, you know, give it some time. And it's that constant love and consistently getting involved over time makes a difference in this kid's life. Yeah. And it's just that keep going, keep going, keep going. You're not, we say something, one of the phrases we use at Forest Park here, and, you, and I know you've heard this before when it comes to parenting, you know, if you've got a, a 10 year old, you know, you're, you're not trying to raise a 12 year old. You're trying to raise a 30 year old. So you've got to think down the road yeah. a long way. And this 10 year old does not understand everything that he or she needs to understand at 10. But you as a parent see things they can't see. So have the conversations. Keep going. Be consistent. Eventually the 10-year-old turns to a 15-year-old, turns to a 20-year-old, turns to a 30-year-old, and will thank you you got involved. Thank you that you covered that those topics, that you stood your ground. You know, and you can do all of those things in a loving way, in a kind way. Yeah, and they will absolutely yeah. thank you. I know that uh, my wife, Sydney, grew up completely different than I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny. She always makes a joke that she's starting to become her mom mm. in a good way, though. Right. And uh, she's apologized many <laughs> times for, for things that she's done and, and how she's acted. But um, but you're right. I think uh, as, as as your kids get older and they start having kids, yeah. they will absolutely thank you for the hard conversations because then they'll even know how to communicate and have hard conversations with their spouse. Yeah. See, that's that's something I've really had to work through. That's good. Because through confrontation or if, if hard conversations needed to be had, 
uh, I shut down mm. because that's just not something that happened in my house growing up. Yeah. And um, yeah. And hey, if, if there's a parent, you know, right now who who's in this, this situation, let me just give you a, a piece of advice here. You know, you're, you will have regrets. Every, every adult has regrets. Every parent has regrets. No matter how much you try, no matter how much you try to be the best you can be, you're always going to have some regrets. And when I say regrets, I just mean things that you wish you could do differently. So choose your regrets. And I would rather say when I got, you know, 35 with a teenager or 40 with a teenager, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been so involved. I would rather have that regret than the regret of, wow, I never asked the question. I never got involved. So choose the things that one day you're going to go, eh, I wish I'd have done that a little bit differently. I look back now with our kids, and I have things I wish I would have done differently. But we stayed involved. And there are some times that maybe we got too involved. But, hey, that's a good regret. Yeah, That's a good thing we did. Um, so don't be the parent when you're 40. And you look back and go, I never asked my son that question. I never got involved in my daughter's life. I never went there. And now they're struggling with an addiction in their life or they're struggling with some, uh, some scars in, in their, uh, on their hearts, on their souls, in their minds because you never got involved and you never dealt with those things. Go ahead and cross that bridge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do it. It's critical. Well, that's good, Shane. And, you know, watching these students connect and, and, and showing up consistently and watching the student ministry grow, that's exciting. I mean, that is really exciting. I know I got a chance to go down to the beach retreat the last two times you guys have had right. the beach retreat and just got a chance to be there for one evening and just listening to those those students talk and share and open up and talk about some very difficult things going on in their life, things that they're struggling with now or yeah. things that, you know, they've been battling since they were kids. That was just, I'm telling about you, man, that. That, yeah. that is emotional. It is, and, yes. and I just stood there, you know, um, listening, going, where do you find a place like that in our world where you can be that authentic and real and, and have these girls confess things, not that necessarily that they've done, but but things that have been done to them and, right. and these boys get up and they're 14 and 15 and talk about the pain of their life and, they're and crying and they're crying. Yeah. And then you get these adult leaders who get up and they also talk about things they went through as kids. And I'm just sitting here watching these, you know, 70 students packed into this one room, weeping and hugging one another and praying for one another and encouraging one another. And I'm thinking, I mean, you can't put a price tag on this. No. And I just want to tell every parent, whatever you've got to do, make sure your students get here. Make sure they're part of this because this is life changing. This is life altering. This is not just a fun activity we do to keep them busy for two hours. This has the potential to literally change the trajectory of their entire life and their marriage, their kids and further. So yeah, it's, it's it's incredible. That's uh, you know, reminds me something that Andy Stanley has said that has just stuck with me, and I share it all the time. And and we're not babysitting these kids. We're not sitting down with these kids or these teenagers and sharing rules and regulations with them. What we are doing is we're sinking an anchor so deep in their heart that when they graduate high school and go off to college, they'll only drift so far. Yeah, and that's it. It's great. It's a great picture. It is. Well, let's change it just a little bit because I want to ask you, what are you excited about right now? 
What is the thing in your life going on that you're just excited about? You think about it. You wake up sometimes and you think about it. You know, you, you toss at night sometimes wondering and thinking, what are you excited about? What are you pumped about right now? Right now, I am, uh, I am pumped about the energy, the excitement, and the momentum of our student ministry, really, yep. and, and where we're going, and even our church, but, but specifically our student ministry. Over the last couple months, uh, you know, we've, our numbers have doubled, but it's been, it's been more about just our numbers doubling and, and the hard conversations and seeing the expressions on the kids' faces. And, you know, our last event, we had 12 new here students. Yeah. So it just goes to show you that the realness and the transparency and yeah. being vulnerable and, and building relationship and accountability with these students, uh, they're excited and yep. they're wanting to bring their friends. So yep. what keeps me up at night is figuring out what I can do next to continue to create that environment and uh, for every teenager in our region and uh, leave the responsibility upon them to to take it and run with it as well. Yeah. Uh, so as far as keeping me up at night with excitement, that would be it. But in my personal life right now, yeah. uh, I'm a big Tennessee Volunteers uh, fan. I'm a diehard fan, every mm. sport that they have. Um, and the basketball team is actually the number three seed in the tournament this year, March Madness. Yeah. So they play tomorrow night. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. What What do you find most challenging right now? What's the thing in your life, in your ministry, in your leadership that you just go, boy, I just want to solve this puzzle. You know, I'm, I'm reading about this. I'm thinking about this. This is the challenge in front of me that I need to overcome. To be completely uh honest i know that's what you want yeah, that would be better you know, <laughs> yeah. To be honest. yeah but um you know the personality the personality test the enneagram i'm an achiever i'm a number three achiever and uh what that means is i will work as hard as i can to make sure that i accomplish what i need to accomplish mm -hmm. whatever it is and when it comes to church when it comes to you know i work part-time here i've got another job when it comes to that whatever it is relationships i want to make sure i'm achieving but something that I really need to be, you know, more intentional about, and I think we all need to, um, even if it's great, but that's my, that's my marriage, my family. Mm. You know, I've told you I've got a four-year-old son, Tatum. We've got a three-month-old son, Brooks. Two beautiful kids, by thank the way. You, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. We're a rookie at yeah. this stage of our lives. Yeah. Uh, we, we've never had two kids in our house before and, uh, we're learning to try to find time with each other, my wife yep. and I, Sydney, and it's hard. It's hard, especially with ministry and, you know, working another job and, but, um, that's another one of those things here at Forest Park. We do the best we can to emphasize that, look, if the marriage goes down, you know, if, if the home crumbles, what are we doing? Right. Like, what does it matter? Anything right. else? Yeah. You know, you're first and foremost pastor to your your two kids. You and Sydney, that's 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 your first church yeah. right there. So loving them and, 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 and leading them and that becomes a challenge because even though you're on stage and you're on staff, hey, you're you're a dad first. You're oh, a yeah. husband first. Yeah. So that, that matters. Yeah. Immensely. Absolutely. That's something that I've got to always uh, keep in check and I'm not always the best at doing it. Sure. But that's, you know, God, marriage, my kids, and then my ministry here at yeah, Forest Park. That's right. And I've got to make sure I keep it in that order because it's easy to, you know, 
it's easy to reorganize that and reprioritize that with, yeah. with certain decisions. Yeah, that's good. Well, two, two more personal, more personal questions, and we'll wrap this up. Um, what is something true about Shane Paris? A lot of people may have a hard time believing. <laughs> you know, something as I've gotten to get to know certain people, my wife told me when she first met me, I've had people in the church tell me as well. Um, I guess I, I walk around I've always got a smile on. Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, I'm somewhat confident. A lot of people have told me that, uh, you know, when I first met you or I first saw you, I just thought you thought you were better than everybody mm. else. And But that is, people that know me know that is not true at all. And uh, I would say that something that people don't know about me is I'm actually insecure in a lot of ways, mm. you know. Yeah. I think we all have our own insecurities. Yeah. But um, I'm very insecure in, in some ways, and, you know, I get nervous just like everybody else does before I stand on stage and I sure. speak, and, um, you know, that that's a battle for sure. So I think people would see me on stage right. with a smile mm-hmm. and, you know, making people laugh and say, wow, he's confident. Yeah. But there's a lot of insecurities behind that yep. confidence. Yep. So. You know, one, one of the things I've learned over time uh, is often people mistake confidence for arrogance. And That's they, it. yeah, they assume, oh, here's a, here's a person who's so arrogant. They think they've got it all figured out. They think they're better than anybody else. What it actually is often in, in people like that is that they're just confident. And this person who's judging them as being arrogant is just not a very confident person. And they struggle with confidence and they, they're just not used to being around somebody who actually feels good about life and feels good about who they are and feels good about where they're going and feels confident about the future. So they mistake that confidence and call it arrogance. Right. And it keeps you distant often from people who could really help you and getting around people who are competent and know what they're doing, man, they can help you achieve. They can help you get to the next level. But if you judge them as arrogant and you stay away from them, you're missing an incredible opportunity to get around somebody who can actually help you go higher. Right. So be very careful before you label somebody as arrogant or prideful. They could just be a person who's very confident, and you could learn a lot from them if you just hang around them. Yeah. That's good. All right, one more question, okay? Okay. I know you uh, are careful about what you eat. (laughs) All right, you're always trying your best to eat clean and try to eat healthy, and uh, you didn't pick that up from Forest Park. You brought that (laughs) to Forest Park, okay? So let me ask you, though, if if that was all, you know, off the table and you could eat anything you wanted to, what 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 is, give me some things as far as food goes that you would eat and never get tired of eating it. Okay, okay. (laughs) Uh, Just real fast, because I didn't mention him earlier, but one of the reasons why I try to, you know, eat Mm -hmm. healthy and it's not always been, you know, easy uh, but that's a good friend of mine, Brennan, yeah. and uh, he always stays on top of me. He's also a big he's one of those people who yeah. yeah rubs yeah. you the wrong way sometimes all the yeah. time. Yeah, he's awesome. But um, if there's one thing that I could eat that I wouldn't get tired of, it would be Krispy Kreme donuts. Mm. Absolutely, I uh, I love donuts, donuts and ice cream. But Krispy Kreme, so so a warm it, Krispy Kreme donut with some ice cream. I've done it before. <laughs> Sydney has laughed at me. I've actually put a Krispy Kreme donut in a Chick-fil-A milkshake. Okay. Oh, boy. Yes. There we yes. Go. But um, whenever we go out of town, if we go to Greenville or Wilmington, yeah. where if we go anywhere where there is a Krispy Kreme mm-hmm. and my family's with me, I will get my own dozen. 
So her own dozen. Yeah, our family will get a dozen. Or Sydney and, and Tatum and maybe her her mom is with us. They'll get a dozen, and I will get my own dozen. Wow. And before we are, you know, 10, 15 minutes away after leaving, I've already downed six or seven. Oh of goodness. Them. Yes. And so then Krispy you work it all off. Yeah, and then I feel guilty sometimes. <laughs> Do you call Brennan and say, "Hey, look, I just ate six or seven donuts." Yeah, he. Yeah, he'd tell me I'm crazy. I'm out of control. That's what he always says. You're out of control, man. (laughs) That's great. Well, Shane, thanks so much uh, for being here on the podcast today and uh, excited about the future, excited about where you're going, what you're learning, how you're growing, um, and looking forward to seeing more students connect, more lives changed. And it's an honor to have you on staff, honor to have you here on the podcast as well. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to share my story, you know, the conversation about the students and parents getting involved. Uh, Definitely worth it to share that for sure. So thank you. Yeah, you are welcome. And we'll see you guys next time and excited about uh, some future guests we're going to have here on the podcast. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Imperfect Leader podcast with Scott Neal. Remember, nothing succeeds like imperfection. Thank you for listening.